0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: All righty, here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Believe in Texans podcast. Different voice, same host as always, though. Ruben has handed me the keys for the lead today. Ruben, how you feeling, my guy? Hey, man, I'm blessed and highly favored. Excited to
2: be here. You know, as you, as you guys can see, we have a special guest with us. Very,
1: very special guest, pro bowler, second mm. team all pro, led the mm. NFL with seven interceptions. Yeah, mm. we're going to give you your flowers. I'm going to quote CJ on that one. Mr. Glover Quint. how you <laughs> doing, my guy?
0: Man, I'm doing good. How y'all doing?
2: Blast, man, blast, man. You didn't have to go out there with the Lions and in three years put up damn near 13 interceptions. That hurt, man.
0: Yeah. Hey, you know, the only thing I can say is the lines just they gave me the opportunity to do that. You yes, know, certainly. when I was when I was here with the Texans, um you know, I got drafted as a fourth rounder, so when I came in, I was kind of like just a just like a do boy, you know what I'm saying? Just trying to do whatever I can to get on the field. And so I think that was kind of how I was utilized. I mean, hmm. um I did a lot of the dirty work in in the defense. Um, and it worked for us because, um, it allowed us to free up a lot of other guys to be playmakers. You know what I'm saying? It allowed Brian cushion to just run free and be a playmaker. It allowed, uh, us to be able to do different things in the secondary to uh, help us make more plays. Um, it's just, I wasn't really in a position to make a lot of plays because I was always kind of in the one-on-one with a tight end and you just battling with these big dudes. So you don't really see the ball a lot to make interceptions. Um, It's pass breakups. Every now and then you might get an interception. But when I went to Detroit, they actually wanted me to be uh, free safety. And then my second year when um, we changed staffs, we ended up getting uh, Tara Austin as a defensive coordinator that came from Baltimore. That had an Ed Reed, and so it was just kind of like all right we're going to put you in that role to kind of you know make plays and and hopefully you can hopefully you can handle it and so i was able to come out my first year in that system and catch seven of them and it was like whoa it's crazy ooh.
1: speaking of ed reed <laughs> look, look look it, it was it's on there that the te- did the texans not even like offer you anything
0: no nah, they That's didn't what,
1: yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. Uh so
0: you know yeah, they did.
1: I'm I'm not gonna lie. At when <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. When I when I whenever I was young and I was still I was always a decent little football head, I did not want you to leave. You were young, mm-hmm. like young safety. I just didn't think your time here was finished. Only four years, you're a really good cornerback with us. You're just transitioning to safety, wave Phillips, defense, you know, you're probably still going through some of the keys you know. And I wanted them to resign you, but I'm not gonna lie. The consolation prize being Ed Reed, a Hall of Famer, I'm thinking eh, this isn't too bad. Life is pretty, right. Life is still gonna go just, just, just gorgeous with Ed Reed at safety. And boy, it did <laughs> not. And I know you had a chip on your shoulder. I know you sure did.
0: You know, I. You know, when I left, um, and they signed. Ed, because like I said they didn't offer me um and I wanted to come back and they had you know 2 years well, like when I had first moved to say they had signed Jonathan Joseph in free agency and then they had signed Daniel Manning as a safety and so I kind of felt like you know I was the young and up and coming guy like you said I was year 4 going into year 5 I was kind of like in the the young prime of my career um I felt like I was the key piece to the secondary like I said I felt like you know, the better that I performed in the defense, the better our defense performed because it allowed us to be able to – you know, when you, when you can one-on-one take out a tight end in the middle of the field, you can do so many things on the back end as far as doubling guys, you know, playing over the top of guys so that it allows your corners and your slot guys to be super aggressive. And then, you know, when you got a linebacker like Brian Cushing when he don't have to worry about guarding those tight ends, he's he got the back. Mm-hmm. So nine times out of ten, that back got to stay in because Cush is blitzing. So one-on-one with the back, Brian Cush is going to win that matchup more times than not getting to the quarterback. And so the better that I could play, the more it freed guys up. And so I kind of felt like I was a key piece. I felt like I was – the up-and-coming guy, I felt like, you know, I was the one that, you know, I told a lot of guys what to do. I was like, man, I kind of tell D-Man what to do, you know what I'm saying? And he was our safety. And so I just kind of felt like, you know, at that point, I couldn't come back making less than what D-Man was making, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when they didn't offer me, I took a trip to Detroit, and I really only was taking a trip to Detroit to try to get the Texans to offer me. Uh, I didn't have any intentions of signing with Detroit, um, but Detroit was the first team that called me when the tampering window opened up. They was the first team to try to schedule a visit. You know, they had a visit, um, a plane ticket waiting for me soon as the um, soon as the window opened up for free agency at four o'clock Eastern Time. They were sending me flight reservations and all those things itinerary. And so when I went out there, like I said, I wasn't planning on signing. I was just kind of trying to get the Texans to offer me. And so when the Lions offered me, we kind of hit the Texans up and was like, okay, well, this is what the Lions offer. Can you guys, like, match it or whatever, yada, yada, yada. And they was like, no. And then it was like, all right, well. And then I told them, I told my agent, I was like, okay, well, if they won't match that offer, I at least want to get, like, the same D-D man guy. I can't come back for less than what he got. So... When we called him back and asked him about that, next thing you know, we see going across the ESPN ticker that I had agreed to terms with the Detroit Lions. And it was like, what? I didn't agree to terms. They offered me, but I hadn't agreed to anything. So then they change it. Then you see Glover Quinn has not agreed to terms with the Detroit Lions. <laughs> and then went back and forth a little bit. Then I was like, all right, well, sure. The Texans ain't going to match it. Bump it, Detroit. They wanted me first because I had other teams that were interested, but it was always it was like a second option. Like, hey, we want to get this left tackle, and if we get him, we can only offer you this much money or this and this and that. And I was like, man, I'm not waiting around for somebody to be second field. Detroit want me bump it. I want to go where I want it, so let's do it. So then it comes back across the screen. I had agreed to terms with the Detroit Lions, so that's kind of how it all played out.
2: No,
1: you're awesome, man. You're awesome. Yeah, uh, so we do want to get into the current state of the Houston Texans right now, and uh immediate question is, you know, what, what is your perception of the Texans right now? you Detroit, but this is believing Texans. What is your perception right. of them right now?
0: Well, I think, you know, I, I, I live here in the city, so, mm-hmm. uh, well, in the suburbs. But I I think, I think, you know, they're they're in a good spot right now. They just made a big hire in D'Amico Ryan's um, great player, great leader. I think he's going to be a phenomenal coach. Um, You know, just brought some excitement back. I think that the two previous guys that they had, I don't think, you know, Lovey Smith or uh, David David Cullen had a connection to the city. Like it needed to be for a young, vibrant team like the Houston Texans. Um, it's a beautiful city, beautiful culture for football. So having somebody that was, you know, drafted here, that that has some background here, has some connection to the city here. um is a young um, up-and-coming coach. Um, I think he's going to be able to connect well with the players. I think the excitement is here. I think the, um, you know, the moves that they made in the draft, being able to go and get CJ Stroud and then backdoor with Will Anderson, I think that was huge to get you an offensive and a defensive cornerstone pieces. Um, you got some other good young pieces in there that they had from previous drafts, and um, so I think I think they're in a good spot. I think the AFC South is a little down right now. Um, I I don't think Indy is. Where they want to be, you know, the I think the top team, like I think probably heading into the season would probably be a Jacksonville. And you just can't ever trust Jacksonville. Um Ooh. so I, I think the Texans are in a good spot. Um I think the excitement around the team, the excitement around the city, the the vibe, the culture is is good. You know, bringing JJ Watt back, um, Ring of Honor guy. Like I think it's a lot of good things going on there. And hopefully, you know, they get some wins early to uh to kind of help build off that. It can kind of be tough if you start out 0-3, 0-4, mm-hmm. because the, the chances of making the playoffs get super slim if you start out like that. Doesn't mean you can't do it, but it just gets super slim. So hopefully they can start out, you know, two and oh, one one and one, two-and-one, three and one, just kind of have like some some good momentum early in the season because then you can kind of you know, hopefully ride that momentum throughout the season. Yeah, you may lose a couple here and there, but you should be able to win some and and, and win the, the AFC South and get into the playoffs.
2: Yeah, and then Global, you brought up the draft and, you know, what was your reaction to not only selecting CJ Stroud, but immediately trading up to get in Will Anderson Jr.
0: I thought it was dope. You know, I, I thought they they did something that nobody I I didn't hear anybody um bring up that possibility for the texans when they were going through all the mock drafts and all of the every little thing that they try to the projections i don't think nobody saw that one coming um Mm. but the the texans had a lot of draft picks so they had a lot of assets that they could utilize and they felt like they had a chance to get it done and they got it done um and I mean I, I'm sure it had not been in place already because you know they made that pick at number at number two, and then all of a sudden you're seeing um you're seeing the uh the trade come in and, and now boom they got number three and it's like wow that, that happened fast. So pretty sure they had already had it in the works and um it, it worked out for them. The the Panthers took Bryce Young, and I think that opened it up for them to say, okay, well, Bryce is not there. We're going to go get C.J. Stroud, and then we're going to trade up and get that defensive guy. Mm.
1: You know, getting Wadge, trading up for him, screamed D'Amico Ryans. And you've played with D'Amico, you know D'Amico, and what what is the feeling right with with D'Amico as now the new head coach of the Houston Texans? Anything you got that maybe hasn't been shared yet?
0: I mean, I I just think the guys are excited. I think a different excitement, a different atmosphere, a different environment brings out differences in players. You know, sometimes you have great players that go to bad teams, they go to bad systems, they go to bad coaches, and they never really become the the player that they were supposed to be. And sometimes you have players who are okay players, but they go to a great team, a great system, great coaches, great rooms, and they turn into be guys that you were like, wow, we didn't really expect that from this guy. Um, so a lot of times it's about the system that you go into, the building that you go into. And I think D'Amico is going to be a, a great leader for that building. Like I said, he was there when, you know, the Texans were popping, you know, back in, you know, 2000, the first year, at least 2011, D'Amico was there. I know he wasn't there for 2012, but he was there for 11 and and he, you know, was there and we won that first district i mean the first division and he understands what that feels like what that looks like the culture that we had during that time and i'm pretty sure he's seen that you know in san francisco because Mm -hmm. kyle shanahan was in san francisco kyle shanahan was in houston with us um you know the guy that he was with johnny holland johnny holland was in houston with us when i got there so they had a lot of guys on from the houston staff in San Francisco because of a Kyle Shanahan. So I'm pretty sure some of the things that we were doing during that time, they just brought that culture over there, and they realized that that kind of works. And so D'Amico is going to do the same thing back in Houston, and I think a good culture and a good atmosphere for the guys will bring out better play and um, more excitement from the fans as well.
2: Yeah, and uh, staying on the defense, one player that we are all excited to see a second year guy, Derek Stingley, now under you know a you know a defense that favors him, Glover. How do you feel Derek Stingley will be in year two under you know uh, D'Amico Ryan's and new uh, DC Matt Burke?
0: You know, I had Matt Burke when I was in um, I think Detroit, my first year. First year, he he was the uh, linebacker coach. Um, but I think he's gonna be fine. I think you know that 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 year from that jump from year one to year two was a huge jump. Um, and you go out and you play year one and you're kind of just floating, just just kind of playing. And um, you know, once you go into an off season, you get to reflect on the season, look back at things you did well, things you didn't do well, you get to train, you get to understand, you know, the defense better, the game better. Then you get a whole off season of workouts, training, um, you know, more playbook stuff throughout the OTAs, the mini camps. Another training camp, now you're a year older. You understand it a little bit better. So, even though he's going into a new system, I think that jump for him for year one or year two would will be will be pretty big. He's already super talented. And so, I think just having that year of experience, that year of understanding, and, and, you know, just playing time, I think he'll come back this year and, and have a good year.
1: Sticking with the secondary, you know, not only Derek Stingley, but – the guy that also came out later in that draft, Jalen Petrie, your former safety. What is what is the feel around Jalen Petrie and what we believe as Texans fans that he could have a really good breakout year coming out?
0: Um, well, I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I don't even I don't really know Jalen Petrie. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you said he was a draft pick.
1: Yeah, so he came out after uh in the same draft class as Derek Stingley, Stingley. came out of Baylor uh had about 137 tackles obviously not good for his safety because we were last ranked in rush defense um if you don't know it's it's fine Um, well the
0: the thing about a lot of tackles for a safety that's not always a bad thing it just all depends Mm -hmm. on how they're using him you know if they're using him as a box safety he's there to make the tackles um if they're using him as a free safety and he's not there to make the tackle. So having 130 is a lot. I mean, 130 for anybody is a lot. There's just a lot on the body outside of, you know, linebackers sometimes have that many. But you don't ever want to see a DB with 130 tackles. That's just too many. But, you know, 90 to 100, if he's a box safety, you know, Eric Weller used to have a lot of tackles. Cam Chancellor would have a lot of tackles. Guys that Harrison Smith. You know, guys that play in the box all the time, Antoine, but they used to have a lot of tackles every year. So it just all depends on how they're using him, but you still don't want to see him with that many tackles.
1: So then the immediate question is then, because so what he started, he started like as a box safety, but then it just seemed like he transitioned more comfortably halfway into the season, playing more of a free safety role, something he never did at Baylor or wasn't given maybe the trust to do at Baylor. Um, and I just didn't think it was going to work out for him. He ends up blossoming into a guy that's a playmaker, grabbing the ball more, getting very handsy, getting the interceptions that was needed. Uh, a guy that I believe, Glover, you started Wade Phillips' system as more of a guy that was a box safety, playing a little bit on the tight ends, and then transitioning to the Lions where you said you felt more comfortable as a free safety. Uh, am, am I wrong there? If I'm not, you know, what what do you think is the what do you think made him more, I guess, comfortable, I would say?
0: Um, I, I think it's really just bodies and, and how he liked to play the game. Like for me, I came in as a corner, um, mm-hmm. but I was a physical corner, but I had good ball skills. I mean, I think I caught like five interceptions in like OTAs. I was catching picks every day. They was trying me and I was catching picks every day. So coaches saw that I had good ball skills. Um. And I was a physical corner, so I wasn't one of those 4-2 guys that was just trying to be a cover corner and just, you know, run with guys all day. I was a physical guy, tackling, um, you know, being physical, pressing, trying to slow guys down. And so even coming out of college, they had already said that they felt like I would make a good free safety in the, in the league. And so – I was able to get 2 years at Corner and and Nickel and kind of learn the game from the outside and 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 then the inside at the Nickel. And then when I moved to the to safety, you know, in base defense, I was playing more kind of back from the line, but we played so much dime and nickel defense that I probably played 85% of my snaps in the box as a linebacker that year. And that was fun cuz you know, you get to learn the game from down there. You get to learn all the gaps and the the, the, the linebacker drops and all those things. And so once I moved back in Detroit to a, a true full safety, I had experience at every position in the secondary as far as a corner, a nickel, a dime, a line. But Like, I had experience at all those positions. So I was able to connect and help the younger guys and other guys because I had played it. I knew – what the things were that was going to give them problems. I knew the coverages that they were going to have problems out of, and I knew how to help them in those situations because I had been there. You know, I knew what it felt like, um, you know, playing on the edge as a corner. So that helped me with disguising as a safety because I'm like, man, I know I'm supposed to be over here on this hash, but if I move over there now, I'm going to leave my corner out to dry and the quarterback's going to see it. So. I got to stay over here for a little bit longer, and then I just got to run over to where I got to go. So just mm-hmm. all those little things kind of helped me, you know, in my transition because that was my game style. And so, you know, with 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 Petrie, you say he's a, a guy that makes a lot of tackles. Well, when you're making a lot of tackles, it doesn't matter. You've got to be around the ball. you got to have a nose for the ball to make tackles like that. And so putting him at free safety, getting him out of the box – if he, can, if he has the ball skills and he still got that nose and instinct for the ball, well, then he's going to naturally make plays because you're going to have more eyes on the ball. You're going to be able to see it. You're going to be able to go to the left and the right side of the field because you're going to be deeper. And you, make, you can make a bigger impact. You know, the, the biggest thing probably as a safety, as a free safety, is being able to keep the deep ball off of you and being able to tackle in space. So if you can tackle in space and and keep the deep ball off of you, and then find a way to make a few plays, you can have a career as a free safety.
1: You know, uh, I need you to end the stigma, Glover. Did you feel any slower after your fourth or fifth year? You know, because I keep hearing the stigma is cornerbacks to safety means they get slower. Is, is that what you felt like, or is that just something that you you just – just going with what nah, the – No, I didn't
0: was. really feel like I got slower to like – Probably like year nine. Year nine and ten, I kind of felt like my legs were getting my legs were getting tired. Year um, nine, you had three interceptions. Yeah. <laughs> I had three in year nine. But I didn't have any in year ten. We,
1: no,
0: changed, no, we changed systems. It was different. Mm-hmm. But year what well, year year five I had two? No, I had three. Yeah, three. Five.
2: Three seven, four okay.
0: two three. Oof! Right. Off the yes, sir. Yeah. Who was your favorite uh, picking off? Who's my favorite? Oh man! You know what? It's it's so funny. Man, I was at a baseball game the other day. Right. We was in Atlanta, and um, the team that was playing before us, they were from Wisconsin, mm. and so I ended up asking him, like what part of Wisconsin it was like Green Bay I was like oh man you guys are Packer fans right <laughs> and so we just kind of started talking I actually had on the same kind of shirt I have on right now but it had a, it was a Detroit Lions shirt and so we just kind of started talking and um came up that I was a player and all those things and so the son he was asking me you know what position that I play and you know did I have, did I, how many interceptions did I have in my career and all these things And he was like, who who did you pick off? And I was like, you know what, man? Probably all of your favorite quarterbacks. (laughs) And he started calling our guys. Did you pick off Drew Brees? Yep. Aaron Rodgers? Yep. Peyton Manning? Yep. Eli Manning? Twice. (laughs) So it was just, it was kind of fun. So for me, you know, going, going through that, it's like, you know, I was able to pick off All the greats almost of my time that played a lot. Um, Drew Brees is a great player, and I was able to pick him out twice. Um, Like I said, being able to pick out Peyton Manning, Eli Manning twice. Those are Super Bowl MVP quarterbacks, you know what I'm saying? Um, Joe Flacco, he's a Super Bowl quarterback. Tom Brady. I got Tom Brady in the preseason, but it's still Tom, so I got him. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it was a third preseason game too, so that's the one that they're playing anyway. So bump it, I got him. Um, so I, you know, Matt Ryan probably was probably one of my favorite picks. The pick six I had off Matt Ryan just because of how that play always had happened. But far as the impact in the game, I probably would have to say Drew Brees. Um, mm. The first, the first one I caught off Drew Brees was probably, probably one of the dopest. That one, all of them kind of had like cool, like little backstories, but yeah.
2: No, and then um, you know, as we, if I could just switch back to offense real quick, I haven't asked you about our second overall pick, CJ Stroud. What are your thoughts on him? And then the, you know, your opinions on a training camp battle between him and third-year quarterback Davis Mills
0: well you know i think cj stroud you know anytime you come from an organization or you know a team like uh, ohio state you're playing at the highest level um the thing that you always question about these guys is you don't see many great quarterbacks throughout the history of the game that came from ohio state Mm -hmm. you know you don't see a lot of great quarterbacks throughout the history of the game that came from alabama You know what I'm saying? You don't see a lot of great quarterbacks. So that makes you kind of feel like these guys are good. Don't get me wrong, but the amount of talent that they have around them and the talent that they have in the college game, maybe they can get away with just being good with a bunch of good players and not really having to dive deep into defense and understanding everything that goes into it. And then once they get to the NFL, you know, they go to these teams that, don't have as many considerably good players NFL standard wise, and then they te- they seem to struggle a little bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see you know what CJ looks like when things start speeding up. You know, you start getting into to training camp, and he's probably going to look good in training camp. You know, you're going to be going against a defense that you see every week. He's going to be comfortable. You know you're not gonna get hit in practice. So he's probably gonna look good in, in, in training camps, probably gonna make some good throws. He's probably gonna have his days where he don't look as sharp, you know, as the defense do more things and start mixing it up a little more. Um, getting the preseason, depending on how it's going, they'll probably protect him a little bit, um, try to keep his confidence high. And so you won't really know until like week three or four, really how he's how he's doing. And then after week three or four, is going to be week 12 or 13, mm-hmm. where now they've got, you know, eight, nine games on you, and now they're really starting a game plan for you and what you like to do and what you do well. Can you adjust and make, you know, strides as you go down the stretch and for a playoff run? And so that's kind of what we'll when we'll really know. But, I mean, being a number two overall pick, it brings a lot of expectations, a lot of, you know, high standards. And hopefully he can live up to that. And and you know, he got a good support system around him and you know, team and staff that will allow him to, you know, make his mistakes but ride with him. And you know, as far as the 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 competition, I think they just say that stuff. I mean, unless CJ Stroud is just awful, he's gonna be the starter. Yeah.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, go ahead, go ahead.
0: I'll just say I, I don't think what is his name, David Mills? David Davis- Mills. Davis Mill, yeah, I, I don't think he has a strong enough resume to say, hey, we're going to start you over C.J. Stroud because anytime – I mean, he can throw one incomplete pass, and they're going to be booing him, talking about put C.J. Stroud in the game. You know, it would be different. You know, like it was different when guys like Patrick Mahomes came in and he was behind the Alex Smith, or mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers came in and he was behind a Brett Favre. Uh, You know what I'm saying? When guys come in and they're behind, like, a legitimate quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. So now that's true competition because, I mean, these guys could possibly do the thing because they've been doing the thing. I don't think Davis Mills has that reputation. And so I think it'll just be, like I said, CJ has to get hurt or just have to be god-awful. Mm-hmm. For him not to start, in my opinion. But I could be wrong.
1: You know, we had, you played under Gary Kubiak. You mentioned Kyle Shanahan. Uh, we got a guy in Bobby Slowik mm-hmm. that has stemmed from the Kyle Shanahan. And I like to say the Gary Kubiak tree. I know everyone likes to say, but, but man, I like to give my flowers to Gary Kubiak because the tree that he has is insane in the NFL. I think it's very underlooked. Bobby Slowick enters as a first-year offensive coordinator. He was a video guy all the way back with the Washington Redskins when Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan was there. Um, what do you? What was the? You know, you went up against that offense all the time. What was? What was it like? And can we get excited about it again as Texans fans seeing this offensive system back?
0: You know what? Uh, I, I think you can, man. It was so crazy, man. I remember, you know, being in that system, practicing against it every day. And it, it tough, man. You know, it was tough. And I don't know if it was just the guys that we had in that system because we had, you know, Schaub was at the quarterback. And for people that don't like Schaub, that offense fit him tremendously. Um, you know, having Aaron Foster as a running back, that style, that offense fit his style perfectly. You know, having Owen Daniels at the tight end, and you know a Jacoby or Andre Johnson, and you know Kevin Walters, like that offense fit those guys perfectly. And you know, we used to be in practice, man, and we'll be doing scout team stuff. And they'll, you know, we're doing scout team. Sometimes they might tell the corner to bite on this double move, and then you look up and the receiver is running wide open in practice, and we all be on the sideline like, bro. Why they make these guys do that? They ain't got to be that wide open in the game, like whatever. And then we get in the game on Sundays and they be wide open, freaking just <laughs> running wide open. You're like, what happened? Oh, that corner bit. That's like they said he was going to bite in practice. And it was the craziest thing, man, just seeing, like, the misdirection, the play action, the boot game, the the stretch, the, the like, the zone read. Like, it was incredible to watch. Live during the games, and it was hard to go against in practice. So, if they if they got the guys that 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 can do it, um, and that fits CJ's game, they could be dangerous. They could be dangerous, but you gotta have the right guys. You gotta have the right guys. Like Owen Daniels was a really good tight end for that stuff. He's crafty, perfect for it. Not the fastest, not the biggest tight end but he was crafty you know Andre was great route runner, crafty smooth you know having a Kevin Walters having an Aaron Foster having an old line that can do it as well like it it it, it was it, it was good it was good they they we, I mean I think the year 2011 or 2012 one of them we had top 5 offense and defense yep you know what I'm saying like like we were whooping up on guys
1: yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. And we, we can go down, stroll down memory lane. And, uh, man, look, I, I, I got to tell you, you know, you, you you were bashed by national media. I think you know where I'm going with this. This was before before that beautiful 2012-2011 season. But let, let me get the date right real quick. Do you remember November 14, 2010? Yeah. Do you remember that? Gorgeous Hail Mary pass by the Jacksonville Jaguars. The national media absolutely bashed you. Uh, I, as a kid, I'm going, what did he do? And my dad's like, that's what he's trained to do, kid. He's supposed to bat it down. All right. Take us back to that time. And how did it feel?
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it feels awful. I mean, you, the game is over. You you lose the game. Um but for me, I just kind of felt like, you know, I'm a I'm a look in the mirror type of guy. I'm not a look out the window guy, so I don't really try to blame other people. Um, so I always just look in the mirror and say, you know what, I did what I was supposed to do. I just got to do what I'm supposed to do better. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to get a better bat down. I got to knock it straight down, not knock it back or whatever. I can't say, oh, such and such should have blocked this guy out. or such and such should have did this. Well, no. Coaches put me there, and, you know, every week when we <clears> walk through it in practice, you know, they used to always joke, man, G, you ain't going to knock the ball down. You're going to try to catch a pick. Like, nah, bro, I'm trying to win the game. I'm going to knock it down. And, um, you know, we get in that situation, and I try to knock it down. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I knocked it right into um, Mike Thomas's hands and – and uh yeah. He, he scored it and so it was uh it was a bad feeling you know part of me felt you know embarrassed bad we lost the game you know it's the talk of national whatever i went to the sps after that year and it's showing it all at the SPs and plays and you know because one person is the greatest play for the other person is like the worst play you know what i'm saying and at the end of the day even though you're doing what you're supposed to do it still is a is an unfortunate event. So, you know, but like I said, for me, I was pretty much, you know, mentally strong enough to to take the criticism. You know what I'm saying? I I, I got tough skin. I could take it. I know who I am as a player. And, you know, so crazy. We came back the next week and I think I gave up another touchdown to end the game against the Jets. I think Santonio Holmes caught a touchdown at the end of the game in zero coverage, and we lost that game. Off another tough play. You know, you're in zero coverage. You're in the slot. You got to take away the outside. He runs a fade all the way to the corner. Mark Sanchez puts it right there in the corner. Boom, touchdown, game over. I come out of that game with a broken hand. Finish the game with a broken hand. It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, could it get any worse? You know what I'm saying? And I guess it didn't get worse at all. It got better.
1: <laughs> sure did. Sure did.
0: But yeah, you know, I know that not- stuff, man. That, I mean, that stuff happens. You know, that stuff happens, and and you know, I still hear about it to this day. And you know, I'm the type hey. of person I just say, "Hey, man, it's funny that you know you guys bring that up." And even if people try to bring it up and like laugh at it, I laugh too, and be like, "You guys are talking about plays that I had in the NFL." So, you (laughs) you know, it's cool to me, man. It's a part of the game,
2: man. I don't (laughs) trip about it. Another one that I love, it was against the, you know, it was against the Ravens. Close game, Monday night football. Anquan Bowden converts a first down. Gets in your face, talks his trash, as we know Anquan Bowden does. Few plays later, third and two, huge momentum. You get the stop, and what do you do? Jump right back up and start chirping. I'm not sure if you could say what was being said, but how was that whole sequence of plays, man? It was a big moment in that Texans game. The battle was red a, was all out.
0: I mean, that was a full game, man. Me and Anquan went at all game. Um, <laughs> all game. Because you know, that was early in my career, and I was playing the nickel mm-hmm. and I was playing the corner. So I was matched up on Anquan Bolden all night when he was at corner, when he was at wide receiver. I was on him because I was at the corner. When they went to three wide, he moved into the slot. I moved into the slot because I was the nickel. So me and him was going at it, and he wasn't a shifty type of guy. He was a big bully type wide receiver. You know, he was big, strong, and that just fit right into my game. You know what I'm saying? So we was battling every single play. I'm talking every single play, all game. So by the time we get to that point, it had been going all night. I had a couple pass breakups on him and, you know, when he finally caught that pass, that's why he got up mm. and got in my face because I had been jamming him up and then him up all night. So when he caught that pass, he tried to get up and talk, you know what I'm saying? And then I came right back to next you know, couple plays and, and got a big pass breakup on third down. And so uh I was fired up, man. I honestly don't even know what I said, but I was fired up. But you know, I wasn't one of those guys that's gonna let you let you bully me. I didn't care if I was a rookie or ten year guy, like, hey man, if you want to scrap on this field, like we can go at it. Like I ain't gonna back down from nobody. So, you know, it was a good moment. It was a cool moment. Um, and then you know, me and that one played together in uh, Detroit. Yep. You know yep. what I'm saying? We played together in Detroit, so it was it was cool. And I don't even think we ever brought that up though, honestly. I don't even think we ever talked about it.
1: Hmm. interesting. Never,
0: but so that was a cool moment.
1: Yeah, uh, you you did mention that it did get better. You obviously had the three picks against old, old Rusty Smith. Poor Rusty Smith had to experience the cast game. As Gary Kubiak said, maybe you should have broken your hand a lot sooner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do want to, you know, that's a beautiful game. I do want to, I do want to fast forward it though, into what was. Another thing that blew up into national media, local media especially, December 10, 2012. Glover, there's one question. Do you remember that date?
0: December 10, 2012. So that's my last year. Probably would have been December 10. That would have been... Who do we play? We probably played the end... No, it would have been right before we played Indy. Because I think we play Indy, somebody else, then Indy again, 2012. That might have been – did we freaking lose – No. who do who we play that game? Because that was the end of the year when we should have freaking won the, the division by the last line. I mean, y'all the ones freaking, that
1: came up sporting in the Letterman jackets. The Letterman man.
0: jackets to, to New England. Yeah. You
1: still got it. Um.
0: <laughs> please, please. <laughs> I might. I, I don't know. I think I do. I mean, I don't remember throwing it away. So, unless it just kind of got lost in the shuffle, I mean, it may be at my mama's house. Um, no, nah, it's They're probably on eBay. It's They're probably out here eBay. somewhere. You well, know, I don't feel, I mean, they, they made a big deal about the Letterman Jackets. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the Letterman Jackets didn't cause us to lose. The Letterman Jackets, I don't feel like they fired New England up no. anymore. Um, we just didn't perform on Monday Night Football. I just felt like we
2: all loved it, right? Like We loved it going in, and then the end result, what was the score? 42 to 14, and it was like
0: those damn Letterman jackets, man. Well, see, the thing is, you know, Wade Phillips' defense did not match up good with New England's offense. Mm. The way... Because, see, they, they understood how Wade coached. And Wade... You know, Wade was a matchup guy. He wanted... Everything matched up. Even if you were in zone, he wanted it to be matched up. And so what happens is, you know, when you're playing a a non-match defense, if you're in the zone, your corners are going to stay left and right. Your safeties are going to stay left and right, strong and free, however, right? When you're in a match, well, you may be in man-to-man, and obviously your corners are going to travel, right? But even if you're in a zone, if they go with a slot wide receiver, the corner is going over, and he's just playing the inside of the zone, right? So what New England used to do is they used to go no huddle against us. And when they would go no huddle, they would just go all types of different formations because that's when they had uh, the little – they always have like receiving running backs – but they also had Aaron Hernandez. They had a young Rob Gronkowski. So they used to go 12 personnel, and now they can get into big run formations with 12 personnel because they got two big tight ends out there. But then they also can make it look like 11 personnel and put Aaron Hernandez in a slot, and he's like a wide receiver. But then they would put – and Hernandez in the backfield, and he's like a running back, and then they would put the running back out there, wide receiver. So now you got two corners on one side. You got Hernandez in the backfield. He's the tight end. So now you're looking up. That linebacker is like, hold on, where's my guy? He looks out to the side. Oh, snap. The running back is flexed out wide. He got the run out there, and they're throwing touchdowns on you because they're going no huddle, but they knew that. That's why, you know, we struggled against the Patriots because they knew, hey – they're gonna go match. They're matching everything. So different formations, putting different guys in the backfield, slot, motion, all types of things is gonna give them fits because you know they're gonna hurry up. You're trying to get the call from Wade, but you're also trying to find your man in the, in the in the in the whole time of this. You're trying to get your matchups lined up, and we just couldn't. We just couldn't match up like that. We should have, you know, and, and even in the playoffs when we lost to them, you go to the next week. The Baltimore Ravens played them and thrashed them. Mm. But Baltimore just played left and right the whole time. The corners didn't run. The safeties didn't run. If it was a slot receiver bump, the safety just got to come down and match up. And they just out-physicaled them. Didn't give up any big plays from miscommunication or bad matchups. And they thumped the Patriots. Mm. So that was the big thing why, you know, we struggled against the Patriots because of, our defensive scheme against what they were doing to us offensively.
1: Really felt like the year before the team was a Super Bowl caliber team. And I know Shab ended up getting hurt and, you know, that that changed a lot of things, but man, the excitement I had as a a young man and the excitement Reuben had, both of us went to the same high school, by the way, middle school and high school. And I mean, yeah, the the amount of excitement we had that year, we thought even with TJ Yates, somehow, some way, this team's gonna make it to a Super Bowl. Do you believe? Because Wade Smith, and I, we've heard him on Six Ten. I've heard him. He says that they beat y'all beat the Seattle Seahawks, and the Seattle Seahawks. I believe this was the next year, um, but the Seattle Seahawks ended up going to the Super Bowl. He he really felt like that y'all had a Super Bowl team those two years. What did you think?
0: Oh, no question. I I thought we had a Super Bowl team uh, both of those years. Um, you know, 2011, like you said, we had TJ Yates going into the playoffs, but I thought we had a good enough team that we didn't need TJ to do much. Um, and that was the year I think we lost to Baltimore mm-hmm. in the playoffs, and we should have beat them. We had, a, you know, a special teams blunder. But you had plays in that game, like the first play of the game, TJ Yates, I mean, we had a wide-open Kevin Walters running for a touchdown because A. Reed jumped up to go cover Andre Johnson or somebody, mm-hmm. and Kevin Walters running wide open down the middle of the field. But T.J. Yates been a young quarterback, all week we done said, hey, we run this play. We looking for the guy in the flats. He comes out, throws it to the guy in the flats. That's what the mm-hmm. coach been practicing all week. But if you watch in the field, Kevin Walters is running wide open for a touchdown. But we had a bunch of just missed opportunities. And then like I said, we had to fumble on the punt return and just things like we just didn't play a great game. But we should have won that game. Um and then I thought I thought the next year we were even better, honestly. Two thousand and twelve. I thought we were better. And then, you know, we tricked off the last three games, and that's that's kind of what hurt us that year. You know, because I think we were twelve and one. I think we were 12 and one when we went to new england we were 12 and one maybe yes yeah. and then so we cool. lost that game went to 12 and two then we came back and we beat now we were 11 and one we lost to new england went to 11 and two
1: mm-hmm.
0: then we came back and beat indy and clinched the division at 12 and two Holy and we had two games left If we'd have beat Minnesota at home week 16, we would have been the number one seed. We lost to Minnesota. So then we had to go to Indy, the last game of the season, and we lost again. And so by losing those two games, we went from the one seed to the three seed. Because if we'd have been the one seed, you know, we didn't end up having to play Baltimore again because Baltimore had went to Denver that year. And, you no, know, Baltimore had beat Indy in the pl- first round of the playoffs when uh, Ray Lewis had came back from his tricep injury and all mm-hmm. that stuff. They beat New England. I mean, they beat Indy, so they were the four seed. We would have been the one. They would have had to come to us, and Denver would have had to play New England and we had already beat baltimore that year like 48 to 10 or something right and so we tricked it off and now we're the three c and we got to go to new england the second round of the playoffs and we got put out again and so that season got lost because we didn't we didn't finish the season the right way mm-hmm. if we had finished the season the right way and been the one seed, we'd have had the first round by we'd have beat baltimore again and then we would have had a home game against Denver or New England. Still would have been tough to beat New England just because of how it matched up. But we would have had a home game. So you never know what would have happened. And we could have, we, we would have at least been an AFC championship game with a mm-hmm. chance at the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And we tricked it off. Yep. You know,
1: we've been asking you all these questions, Glover. I, I am turning, we're, we're, me and you are going to turn our attention to Mr. 713 over here, Mr. Rubin. You have a tweet, Glover. And your tweet says, what's the point of burning an athlete's jersey? Someone please help me understand. And the reason why we are asking this to Ruben, and he does not know this, this is a very off-guard question, is because he had a very, very viral video that got really viral of him and a buddy of his burning Deshaun Watson's jersey. So we asked Ruben, What's the point of burning an athlete's jersey?
2: What was the point of asking a masseuse to put her finger in your rectum and ruining my chances of a Super Bowl here in Houston? I have no regrets for what I did. I have none. Deshaun Watson, massage Watson, as I like to call him. I'm I'm not even going to mention him no more. We burned that jersey to start a new leaf. Right, I've already seen this Houston Texans team try to do so much stuff and fail. We had to start new, and it started with the burning of the number four jersey.
0: Glover,
1: have you ever burned someone's someone's jersey before? I assume not with that question on Twitter.
0: Nah, man. <laughs> I never burned nobody's jersey. <laughs> you, you,
1: you didn't burn Ed Reed's jersey like, yeah,
0: I never They're even had a every, I never, I never even really had jerseys, honestly, but nah, I didn't burn anybody's jerseys, man. And, and this, and this, this is my thing, man. You know, I'm, I'm human. Mm-hmm. And us as athletes, we are human. Right. And so. The mistakes that we make or things that we do gets magnified so big because of who we are and the platform that we have. But, I mean, Deshaun, jo- Deshaun Watson and, you know, I wasn't in any of the massage rooms. I don't know what happened, what didn't happen. Yes, sir. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's probably like every other young 24 four-year-old male with plenty of money that gets massages. Like, I mean, (laughs) you want to get massaged by the prettiest women in the world. If you got that ability, like, why not? You know what I'm saying? Like I say, I don't know what went on in the rooms. I don't know. Um, Those things always, and I don't really like to speak a lot on this stuff because I don't really know, Mm -hmm. and I don't ever want to try to take away from what really happened and what didn't. I just always wonder like, like I can live in the same city, but we're talking, this is the world, Mm. different cities. And I get a massage person in Detroit. I come back to Houston. I get another massage person. I go to California. I got another massage person, right? How do they know each other? How how can they all come out at the same time? Like, I I always wonder, like, how do they know each other? How does the massage person in Houston know who he uses in L.A.? Like, how do they know? We don't, man. And that's the crazy thing about it. I always wonder about that stuff. And I'm not saying that they don't know. Yeah. It just always is like, because it's like, once somebody comes out, it's like, Three women came for. How did they come forward at the same time? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, yeah, I, mean, I, I could understand mm. if one person came forward and then somebody else was like, "I saw this story and this actually happened to me as well." But for three or four people to come out at the same time, like how? He had a damn good lawyer man really at the time.
2: Huh? He had a really good lawyer at the time. Yeah, man.
0: I don't know, man. Um, I don't know. Like I can say I don't know, and it's and it's so crazy, and that's the hard part about things, man. Because you know, when you get a massage, I mean most of the time you probably are nude. I mean, you're under the cover, mm-hmm. but you're probably nude. I mean, I got massages for years, you know. No, I never told the masseuse to touch me in any kind of crazy way i never had any issues but i also wasn't 24 and single or unmarried or whatever you, you know what i'm saying so i don't know man i'm not here to to say what happened and didn't happen man he's been dealing with it handled it however he's gonna handle it mm-hmm. nfl has did whatever they're gonna do and uh you know he's suspended last year i think he's ready to To play this year and so we'll see what happens we'll see what happens Glover we want to thank
2: you for coming on really our first big guest man a former Houston Texans we couldn't thank you enough man you know me and Harley we were kind of fangirling over the past couple of days like we get to talk to Glover Quinn and (laughs) thank you so much man it really means a lot to us
0: oh no doubt man no doubt man no problem anytime I'm pretty sure uh I don't think the Lions play you guys this year. No. I don't no. then so. think we played two years ago, so it would probably be next year. Um, yeah, JJ, what, pick six game, yeah. Yeah, I think it was two years ago. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll probably be linking up at some, some more time during the season talking about different aspects of the game. So it's cool to get to hang out with you guys and talk a little bit, recap some of my Texans days. I got number love for the Texans, man. I, I I don't fault the Texans for not re-signing me, man. I, I felt like that was just a blessing in disguise. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to become the player that I became if I stayed here mm. in Houston. I don't know if I would have been given that opportunity because we had so many guys. I mean, we had JJ. We had Kareem, J-Joe, freaking Brooks. I mean, we had guys. So I don't know if they would have given me the opportunity to be that guy. Mm. So sometimes you got to leave. And And it just worked out for me. So I I got number love for Houston, man. I'll be around this year. Be out probably a training camp a little bit. Checking those guys out. Like I said, D'Amico's my guy. So um, I got number love for the Texans, man. I hope they have a good year. Is yes, absolutely, and thank you
2: guys for tuning in to another fire episode of Believe in the Houston Texans. This episode was brought to you by Bet Online. Jump into the action right now, use our promo code B L E A V for, for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Harley, this was fire! Thank you so much. As always, guys, go Houston Texans, and y'all have a very
0: blessed day. Bet.